Yeah, a couple things. Yeah, one, how is Calendly a three billion dollar company? And two, I saw I saw this morning that they they acquired a recruiting company. It was like an angel list email, and it was like Calendly Calendly goes into recruiting, and it's like why? You might have a great idea. You might be the right team. Go and try those guys down the road. I think you might get on a bit better, but here you're not going to sit well. I want to help underestimate founders, and how am I going to do that? This is My Product Tested, the show that unpacks how successful founders have tested their way to the top and all the market validation that happened along the way. We've been interviewing top founders for almost two years now. We've heard how they've taken out loans to process last-minute payroll, put on their cape to save an ending runway, and pushed their ego aside to pivot the products they once loved. But in this season, we're doing things a little bit differently. We want to hear it from the investor side, and we're not looking to hear about the investor portfolio, venture philosophy, or what they're looking for in an investable founder. We're after the real, heart-wrenching stories of what it takes to start and run a fund. In studio, as always, from the My Product Tested team, Mark Knowles and Cameron Calder, and here in studio this week, Kevin Withane, co-founder of Diversity X. Hey Kevin. Hey, how you doing? What's up, Kevin? What's you happening? All right. all right, let's do this. Just uh before you kick us off the cam, great accent by the way, Kevin. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a podcast worthy accent. Uh <laughs> I was in the States last week and they were all like, well, just say something else. Say something else. <laughs> like, you my can... wife thinks I've got the worst accent possible because she thinks it's so London. <laughs> so, uh, Kevin, I just want to start out by saying there's more experienced titles in your LinkedIn bio than I've ever seen in my life. Um, we, <laughs> I actually thought it would be a great idea. Yeah. We started the actual podcast and I just read through every single title. But then I realized that there were still 15 <laughs> titles to go when I was halfway through. So it's just, can you please give us some background on this? Yeah, so uh, I guess the long and short of it is uh, I'm a recovering lawyer. So I found myself, but I still uh, practice law. I work in-house. I have a main gig, uh, a publicly listed company. It's FTSE 250. Um but I do the work that I'm really passionate about outside of that organization. Um, and, you know, I, I consider myself a, a diversity, equity and inclusion advocate and, and champion. I want to drive that forward. There's um, one, I'm uh, the darker shade of white. So, um, you know, there's obviously that. But also I have three mixed race children and um, I need the world to be better for them, just simply put. And, it's what led me to start Diversity X and, and focus on what I call supporting underestimated founders. So that's, that's really what I do. And then there's the like advising companies and, and sitting on some boards as well, which is nice because you learn a lot. Yeah. And, 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 and why did you become a lawyer and 
when did you sort of realize that was a bad idea uh i'll add it wasn't a bad idea it's just that i lost myself doing it like many people <laughs> like like many lawyers you're me the ego overtook <laughs> uh somewhere along the line as you try to climb a climb the corporate ladder or or even in in, in private practice become a partner um the honest truth is, and I've said this elsewhere because now I can, uh, watching LA Law when I was a kid. Actually, not allowed to watch LA yeah. Law and sneaking down the stairs as my parents watched it to then watch it and then going, that looks like a cool job. I don't really know what they do, but it, like they make TV shows about lawyers, so it can't be that bad. Um, you don't see them doing that about engineers, so there you go. Uh, so, but you can never say that in a job job interview. Like you have to lie. Go, yeah. Well, the work. I think the work's going to be really interesting. Da da da. It's in- intellectually challenging. No, it wasn't that. It would just look glamorous on TV. Was the yeah. truth. And and also, it's fascinating. Subject. Yeah, it's not the classic uh, Harvey Specter uh, suits reference. There's a. Uh, no, is, but I'm older yeah. than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good to hear. And I, I mean, I would imagine you know starting a fund is difficult enough. Um, trying to find a niche within who you're going after from a founder perspective and businesses must uh, be increasingly challenging, you know, as you start building up the fund and, you know, that whole process. Is it, have you come into some big challenges along the way? Yeah, we are. Um, like when I started Diverse DX, the initial idea was like, I want to help underestimated founders and how am I going to do that? I did fun wasn't on my on my mind actually I was like you know what I can do I could start like there's loads of crowdfunding sites and I like the sites like Crowdcube and Cedars and I think Republic in the US I like those they're, they're interesting sites they have some nice businesses on there but there isn't enough diversity on there either in terms of the founders it's like oh why don't I just start one specifically for that so I looked into it um did some research spoke to some people realized I have no tech background so uh I'm going to need to either outsource that or build it with somebody who's got tech looked at it and then i as i was sort of exploring the idea came to realization that do you know what i could do this spend all this money whether it's my money or somebody else it doesn't it's irrelevant i'm gonna spend it and then one of those companies is just gonna add a tab (laughs) or some sort of filter thing and that's pretty much me gone uh so what other ways can i help and that's when i started looking at well look I want to be like these companies need to be scalable because ultimately they need to exist when my children reach the age of work that they have choices that are real viable choices to go and work in because I believe one they're sustainable and two they embrace diversity equity inclusion because of the fact that they have those diverse owners and that if they've come in contact with me they'll learn that that's really really important not just the ownership but also embracing it through their own organizations um and then I looked at the venture capital and went, uh, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, for sure. We That's encourage fact. you to. Uh, it's, 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 it's a industry which clearly recognizes that there's an issue because they report on it regularly and have been doing for well over a decade. And they also recognize that more needs to be done. Yeah. My question is when? Because like, the stats you quote that like, I'm quoting now, they were existing 10 years ago they were existing five years ago and they're still existing today so my question is when are you going to get going on the supposed we're going to make some change so that's where um it came across but my problem is now is the convincing the lps ultimately 
that this is there is overlooked like the data and the recognition is there but you know i've had some conversations i had a conversation with an lp last friday when i was in the us um and it was like well you're you're just looking at the diversity angle i said <laughs> my job is a fiduciary of your your money or anybody else's money ultimately i'm looking for the best underestimated founder with the best product that's growable and scalable at VC type um, uh, speed and scale that we can get an exit and a return for you. But like a lot of these people are getting overlooked. Doesn't mean they have bad businesses. It just means they don't even get through the first hurdles of typical traditional VC. So my job is to play in that blind spot and there's a ton of people there, which is why I use the term underestimated and not underrepresented. Yeah, and that's also, I mean, going to be an amazing business to build actually from, um, you know, just like a awareness and education perspective. If you are focusing on a niche, obviously getting the funds might be a bit difficult in the beginning, but, you know, if you're going to be so specific on, you know, who you're going after, you're going to be top of mind for all of these guys that are you know, looking for funding that have been, you know, um, just overlooked um, and just haven't gone through the first round, as you say. Yeah, it's hard for like, you know, you speak about um, people of colour founders, like they may not have the networks, even me, like I've done pretty well in life. Uh, but then I look at the networks of where you're going to go to and, you know, like everybody's like, oh, we'll speak to your friends and family. Well, you know, my closest friends, the people that I could go and ask for money from, they don't come from wealthy backgrounds. Like they've earned their way up the table just the way I have. Um, and so, you know, you look at the founder side and they come from all walks of life and they're solving real, like the ones I love are the ones that I believe are solving real world problems. Uh, and they're doing it with the idea of we're going to solve this problem and we've got the best solution. But also there's a we can make money doing this. And there's nothing wrong with that, in my view. Um, and that's no different to what any VC is looking for. It's just that they, for whatever reason, the, the warm intros or the just utter bias or just the what triggers in your mind of what a successful founder is, this doesn't look like a successful founder. Just move it to the pile. And then you get to the hundreds of others that do look like fit the mold. You're going to spend more time going through their decks and their, and then wanting to get to know them. So I'm just looking at that whole pool and going, there's a massive pool to play in here. And it's so it's no longer like, I don't see it as a problem. I just see it as a massive opportunity and money left on the table by traditional VC. And do you see the kind of directional arrow of progress from VC becoming less of a an old boys club? You know, you, it kind of has that brand of, you know, sweaters, country club, whiskey, networks, ac access to wealth. Um, do you see it moving more towards, I guess, a more democratized model as 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 we kind of progress into, you know, you mentioned like Republic, that's an amazing crowd for, crowdfunding site. Um, or do you think ultimately, like, essentially, it's, it still comes down to the access to capital. It's, you know, it's it's tough to wet your beak if you if you don't have the access to capital. Um, and how, how, how do you kind of see that playing out? Do you think VC is becoming more democratized? Um, I think in the US it is actually my partner. So I'm actually the, the, the co-managing partner. I brought on a partner, Marcus. He's from, he's from Bermuda. Um, 
just an amazing person who gets out of bed for diversity X every single day, which is why he's the partner. Um, he sent me something this morning. Uh, it was an article, I think, in Wall Street Journal about VC essentially becoming more democratized and you know, LPs can come in now to funds with $500 tickets as an, an LP. I mean, that's crowdfunding levels, right? Um, yeah. I think that's a good thing. I don't think it's going to be widespread. Uh, my sense isn't is it's not going to be widespread. Certainly, I think it's going to be more democratized and or able to be democratized in the US than it is in Europe. Um I think that the the just the regulatory framework here is a bit more stringent in that sense. Um I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. It's going to take a generation mm. or so to have that. The great thing is though that if you're going to get like a 20-year-old kid in $500 instead of like you know in the US you can't buy alcohol until you're 21 so the money that you would have they would have gone using their fake ID to go and spend on some alcohol over one semester they put towards well, I'm going to be an LP in this fund they may get the bug when they then go and get their job wearing those sweaters and smoking those cigars and drinking that whiskey they may go you know what though it's these funds are really interesting. I had a good time like watching them go because you're gonna, you're gonna, you still, you're still gonna get all of the same information back from these sort of new, more democratic, uh, democratic funds, and that's where I think we'll get the change. Is like hopefully we'll get some younger people, but also people from more diverse backgrounds. And I'm funny, so I'm talking to two white guys now <laughs> about this, but I generally do think that it's a generational thing. Like we will see it not in my generation. I'll be dead and gone actually probably when we'll see the real benefits of it. But I do think that we will see a new breed of investor, but it's going to take time. I also think that there are more funds like Diversity X trying to address this area. We're doing it in different ways and we've all got slightly different theses or different ways of doing it. But there are more and more. I'm lucky in a group of 60 plus emerging managers and i can tell you it's a really really diverse group and that and that's just like we're based predominantly out of the uk for this group and that's just and they're virtually everybody's different funds so yeah it is exciting to see uh but it took me a year to sort of find that yeah yeah in in south africa we have a, a framework called bee which is black economic empowerment mm. um it's 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 essentially trying to change the incentive structure um, and, and allow for more access to capital. And I think that's the overall goal is, you know, in order to play the game, in order to like grow a meaningful business, you have to have access to capital, um, especially at the early stage, especially at the kind of small business stage when you're getting off the ground. Um, and I think that's, it sounds like that's what you're trying to solve is almost changing that incentive structure. And if you can kind of 10x the amount of, access to early stage capital for underestimated founders i think you know it'll just allow them to learn faster fail faster and, and ultimately like you say like get involved in perhaps owning owning assets being an lp in a fund um yeah i think i, I think it's an amazing initiative do you have you know any kind of um markets that you're very interested in or that you've made some some angel investments in recently yeah, so, um, I mean, there have been angels because the fund's not launched yet. Um, but 
essentially a thesis is is the same so I'm, i look at the things i love are climate health ed tech and future of work um and the reason i love all of those things is they all done well will help build a sustainable more inclusive world like more education democratizing education it actually lifts everybody up like holding any particular group back holds everybody back it doesn't lift everybody ed tech like you have having better access to medical care support systems networks at rates that are affordable you're going to sustain life you're going to have the ability you're creating workers you're creating opportunities for people to get into the workforce that may not have otherwise been able to they may be able to do jobs which are different because they because now they're no longer hindered through medical conditions or medical access um you know productivity working times then if you've got a future of work the way it's going i think I generally believe that we'll we'll come to a point where more people have a portfolio career. Also, life expansion. We're, we're living longer, so why retire at sixty like five and then you still literally got an entire working life until you die? Like, what are you going to do in that time? Like, so having that future yeah. of work and creating opportunities across the entire spectrum of the workforce, including the older years, where you may advise your great advisors or whatever. There's opportunities there for you. Um, and then climate, clearly, um, I believe it's a crisis. If we don't solve some of the issues or at least tackle them and, and, and push those date backs, we're going to come to a world where the land mass is smaller because it's either an uninhabitable, it's going to be underwater or it's affected by severe climate issues that we're just not going to be able to live or work there. What happens with those people? Because our population isn't getting any smaller. We're heading to like is that 7 billion people. So we've got less land, more people, and it's bad enough as it is. Like, we're so upset when, you know, look at the UK and Brexit, like, get out, get out. Like, we're already doing that. And that's not even because of a land issue, a land and space issue. Like, imagine when we have just people who can't live in other countries because it's just, it's uninhabitable. What are we going to do then? We're not going to be inclusive at that point, which is why I need to solve that to ensure that my children have got I'm going to survive. <laughs> uh, they're not going to be treated and kicked out of countries because of the, the that I'm their dad. Yeah. Kevin, do you, um, uh, I mean, those are amazing um, different verticals to go after, especially if you already have started investing. And I think it's also shows a lot of commitment from your side as you start building the fund as well that, you know, when you go to these LPs and can say, you know, you put your your own investment from your own bank accounts into these guys because you strongly believe this is the direction forward and, you know, it's going to really change the future and impact society. Um, have you thought about, you know, I'm just thinking now and almost a growth hack of the future of investments from your side and looking at how you could possibly find investments that can kind of infiltrate companies from a culture perspective, you know, where, you know, doing a lot of research from, um, diversity and understanding that there have been a lot of positional changes in the companies where they're putting people in diversity uh, positions in the companies, not just employee well-being or anything. There's actually people within these companies that are now influencing this change. Um, do you think there's going to be a lot of that versus, you know, like the founders buying into a culture of, of change and, and making sure that they have certain things in place to just ensure that their company follows that as well? 
Yeah, I think funds should have it. I think L- LPs need to hold funds accountable. Like if you invest in, like I want our LPs to hold DiversityX accountable on that. I want them to say where you 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 are custodians and your fiduciaries of our money. Where have you put it? You talk about diversity, Kevin. So are you investing companies that are also embracing diversity? Now look, a femtech company run by a woman, that's a great thing because they often still don't get funded on that. It tends to be a men that get funded. Bizarre. You know, how diverse are they going to be with their products? You know, there's going to be certain functional areas you go, having a woman or male there is not going to make a difference. So you could add diversity to your leadership team because even some of those conversations at leadership levels, have you scale and grow? It isn't about gender, it's about lived experiences. So a male in that environment could probably add something. Now, probably having an all-male dev team who's developing a femtech product may not be the best idea. So it's making sure that they're testing out, like living by those same standards. Um, and we, as Diversity X, as a leadership team within the fund, we will be we have an expectation that we're not just just because you're an underestimated founder, we still expect you to to also embrace and deliver diversity in your organization, particularly as you grow and scale. Sure. And, and when you reference an underestimated founder, is that, is that based on kind of their access to education or is it just they haven't been able to get a seat at the table or a meeting with a VC firm? So we've taken the talk. Most people use the underrepresented founders Whereas we disagree with that terminology because we think the underrepresentation comes in the equitable allocation of capital or the inequitable allocation of capital, as it's more likely. Um, but we, our definition is an underestimated founder is a either female, a person of color, LGBTQ plus, um, neurodiverse, disabled or older. Typically, they're the categories where there's just less funding going to those founders for whatever reason it is um yeah. not all of those demographics are easy to manage uh or recognize but um we just have a saying in our community if you're any one of those and you're a founder welcome home yeah and and Love kevin just going back to uh your career and starting out of your career we spoke about the 32 experiences in your your linkedin bio but um going back to you know studying law and moving into a law position did you kind of have your eyes set on a bigger sort of picture in terms of uh, investments and building a fund or, you know, did you see these companies from maybe uh, an M&A type feature or when did you start realizing that you were going to head in this direction? Uh, it wasn't really until probably a couple of years ago. Like I started... I think I loved M&A, like I was, you know, particularly the corporate M&A stuff. But then when you're doing that, it's all about the big ticket deals, right? You just want those zeros at the end of those deals. You felt good. Actually, some of the most complex deals I did were the, were the smaller numbered deals. It wasn't the size of the number in the end. It's the, it was the, the, the complexity of the deal was, was often, well, this is a small financial number, but quite a complex deal because it involved various different moving parts, whatever. I found that fascinating. They're moving in house. It's just you do whatever crosses your desk, right? Like particularly in the organisation like where I am, where we're um, 
it's just a few lawyers essentially running a legal function which is worth about three million revenue under like six lawyers globally um so that's a lot of work to at that point you know going there's something else out there like who 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 do i want to help i like like the energy of startups i see i can add value to them because i've learned a lot now in in my career but not just from being a lawyer but also being in-house where i work with business people so you, you just pick it up right you pick up things you're not i don't call my an expert in like operations but I've been around enough really great operational leaders to to pick up a lot of that. And also I sit in meetings asking questions all the time. That's what you do as lawyers. You ask questions a lot. Um, so it's like, well, I've learned a lot. And, you know, in my main gig, they're only going to, they only want a couple of my skills. <laughs> they want the legal skills and the advisory and, and, and a few other bits. But but I have all of this other stuff now. So what do I do with it? Like, am I going to sit on it or help people? So I want to help people. And I looked at startups like, well, I've seen how expensive this stuff is when you're a more mature organization to start inputting. What happens? What would happen if you just inbuilt it? And there's loads of data that says like really great companies with good processes, policies, procedures, embrace diversity, embrace ESG, embrace sustainability. They lead to bottom and top line growth. Why not help those companies operationalize it early? Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's an interesting framework by Naval Ravikant. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he kind of has this belief system that you know the way people are going to work in the future is more like Ocean's Eleven, that movie where you're all going to come together on different projects, and you're almost going to be this individual contractor, and then whatever project interests you, there's going to be like this massively diverse sort of team that comes together for like periods of of time like whether it's three months or two years um you're almost going to live in different like chapters where it's not just going to be one singular career which is which is i think a, a pretty exciting future and um yeah i just want to go back to you know the kind of underestimated founder i just find that so interesting do you think that like because they're underestimated they they have like a lot more grittiness they almost have more anti-fragility just because they haven't had a lot of resources at their disposal you know they've had to kind of every everywhere they've gotten in their startup or their journey they've had to really fight for fight for it um in my experience of dealing with them yes and no uh no there are some i've come across that just believe they're entitled they think they have a great idea what they also don't realize is they have to be just because you're underestimated it doesn't mean like you can be an arsehole. <laughs> like, yeah. you have to be a decent human being. And and people may not be investing, not because like you might be getting through the door. You might be one of the lucky ones because they like your idea. When they meet you, they want to know about you and your team. And then it's like VCs, most people will be too kind to go, I don't really like you, right? So they'll come up with other reasons. And then, you know, I'm pretty sure the founders would be like, oh this because i'm this this and this uh i know it's because you're you're just a dick <laughs> and they just can't see why <laughs> work with you so no matter how great your idea is I, I, I wish i wish vc rejection emails were more not like oh you're not quite hitting the metrics at the yeah. moment let's touch base in three months and more just like i think you're a bit of a dick yeah. and <laughs> maybe this deal isn't right for us yeah. i just 
I, you might have a great idea. You might be the right team. Go and try those guys down the road. I think you might get on a bit better, but here you're not going to sit well. But then there are, I do come across a lot who can, you know, I know that if we invested a pound, they'll get a pound 50 out of that. You know, they will extract every awesome. single penny out of that to max, to the maximum value. And it's because they've been doing it already. They're ingrained. I was talking to someone yesterday and she said to me, she's telling me how much she, she got, she won a 50 grand competition, um, tech competition. And she basically maximized that for a good few years. And she's, I was like, how did you do that? Like, how have you got all of this marketing? I'm like, this all costs money. She's like, oh, we only spent like a hundred dollars a month on this. Canva, huge traction. So yeah, that's 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 amazing. Um, Kevin, we always like to play a little game um, of invest, marry, and kill. Um, three, <laughs> three potential businesses out there. Um, marry being you're going to be a part of this business for for the long term. Uh, invest is your your standard yeah. standard investment, and kill you you're going to immediately close the company down. Um, and this week we've got Tinder, HubSpot, and Stripe. Uh... <laughs> um. I met my wife on Tinder, so you know it's a hard one to kill. <laughs> no, definitely marry. It's got to be married then. Oh uh, no, I'd probably kill it because I don't think it really does. I think I don't think it really is the best platform. Um, HubSpot. Uh, I'd probably marry because actually I think they've just got a huge. They they just keep expanding. Like they've got so many different options of yeah. products, and everybody loves them. Everybody. Okay. Well, Although, you know, there's the thing is, the thing is, though, I think Monday will be around the corner knocking on the door all the time if I marry HubSpot. But I'd go marry HubSpot and invest in Stripe because, well, they're well run, they're innovative, and um, they make money. Yeah, and maybe cheat on HubSpot with Monday.com. I don't, want to, I don't want to throw that out there as a sort of person I am, but you never know. Uh, I think <laughs> a lot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, Kevin, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciated this and respect what you're doing. I think uh, it's going to be amazing to watch the journey, especially when you guys uh, launch properly and go out there full force. Um, I think there's going to be loads of founders knocking on your door and you know we're excited to see how those companies grow under your portfolio as well. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for coming on, Kev.